evening. Here, <laughs> I, I look a lot like Vanna White, don't I? Yeah, all right. Uh, here we have our handy-dandy um, extravaganza Labor Day weekend flea market extraordinaire hand out the gospel track. You can do it if you have a pulse and much, much more, and uh, this is it. Um, <laughs> so this is our bags we're giving away, all right? If, if you can't tell, it says Victor Way Baptist Church and has our logo on it. Um, you go, why is it black? Well, because it's easy to see, so that's why we did that. Um, but uh, they can use it to shop with, but in it is a handy-dandy notebook. All right, well, it's a calendar, so that will be good for at least a couple more months, I guess. They can use that. But wait, there's more. Um, there's a flashlight that says Victor Way Baptist on it, so that way they can shine their way and maybe find their way in the dark to Victory Way. Who knows? All right. Shameless plugs here, guys. It's really awful. I should stick to preaching. Um, <laughs> the next, we have this pen so that way they can write down prayer requests and Bible questions for the pastor. Um, right there at your, <laughs> your convenience. <laughs> Anyways, there's a pen. But wait, there really actually is more. Uh, I know, right? Uh, we have Victor Wade Baptist magnets. All right, yeah. All-inclusive, all exclusive stuff here. Um, this is all for the... Off for the price of parking for free on our parking lot, all right? So you say, well, how can all my friends and family and loved ones get that? Well, by telling them to park here, but also by you signing up in the back to donate four hours of your time to help us give these out, all right? Amen? All right, well, I'll be here by myself then. Uh, <laughs> Let's get started, you guys, tonight. Uh, Psalm number six tonight, Psalm number six. While you're turning there, I do appreciate... Uh, Really, each one of you guys for uh, coming out and uh, just for uh, the, the uh, opportunity to, to preach and the opportunity to be here and to worship with you guys and serve alongside you guys. I know that uh, the Lord will bless our faithfulness in reaching out to the community and letting uh, folks park here and giving out simple, uh, all-exclusive uh, bags here and everything and, and magnets and whatnot. God will take care of that. And inside of that, too, is going to be gospel tracts and some flyers about the church and everything, but uh, we want to be a blessing to our community. We want to let them know that we're here. We're open for business, and we mean business because God means business, and so that's why we're here. Um, but anyways, I do want to say thank you uh, to, to Amanda and JL and many others who have helped out with the music during this time of transition and just on days like this, and thank you all too as well for your prayers for the Dalton family. I was able to go see them this afternoon. I know several others in the church that are here this evening have gone and spent some time with them today. Um, and I know how grateful they truly are. Um, so continue to pray for them, and I believe that the Lord will see them through as he sees us through everything. He's the same God who said here in the Psalms uh, that he will uh, walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death and that we will fear no evil because his rod and staff, they comfort uh, us. He, he is our good shepherd, and he will walk alongside them. He will walk, walk along with you and I as well. So uh, tonight, let's open up in prayer. And uh, let's thank the Lord for the day that he's given to us, thank him for his word, uh, and as well, um, just ask him to uh, give us uh, just some, some truth tonight that we might need. Uh, let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, thank you for each one that's here. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for the, the songs that we could sing about the blessings and the things that you've done for us, um, for that new name written down in glory. Lord, just uh, so many things that we could think about tonight that you have been and shown your goodness and your kindness towards us. Pray that we'd be reminded of it this evening. Uh, God, we do continue to lift up the Dalton family and many others in our church who have experienced loss uh, late, uh, lately, and we do pray for peace and comfort for them, as well as for the church itself. Uh, God, I do pray that you would draw us closer uh, together and close to you this evening, and Lord, as tonight, as we uh, look at some of these words of wisdom here through the Psalms that you've given, Lord, that we would 
um, have our hearts touched and, and pricked and, and, and that our hearts would grow uh, in faith and uh, faithfulness of you and to, towards you. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare us as well for this upcoming week, regardless of what this week might bring. And of course, Lord, we do not know. Help us just to walk by faith and not by sight. And may we uh, have, our, uh, have uh, our hearts uh, set towards you uh, this evening as we study your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm number six this evening. Psalm number six. Uh, here's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. We're dealing with a psalm that kind of shifts the focus a little bit and the tone and the message of what has happened earlier on in these psalms. There's going to be some, of course, residual things, continual themes as throughout all the psalms. And I want to read the psalm in its entirety this evening, and then we're going to break it down into, into two simple points. It says in verse number one, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave. Who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning all the night. Make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 that breaks down to show the discipline of the Lord. Tonight, as we study words of wisdom, sometimes words of wisdom show us something that is uh, pointing uh, our lives to show that we are contrary to God and we need the discipline. There is no parent that would be considered a good parent that does not discipline their child, right? If you want evidence of that, go to Walmart or Food Line and stand in the checkout line, right? You will find out quickly. Uh, this happens uh, in our culture and society today where there's very little discipline anymore. And we go, well, what in the world? People often get upset at the child. I go, if anybody needs the whooping, it's not the, it's not the kid at this point. It's probably the mom or the dad, right? Um, but it'd be bad if we, you know, went through that whole process. It wouldn't be good. I don't have the bail money for all of us in here tonight for that. Well, we know that discipline is not fun, but it's necessary. Here, as we believe David writing this psalm, we do not know the specific time of David's writing this. It is not mentioned, but it clearly is taking place during a time in his life that he is facing the chastening of God. This gives us hope that even a man like David, and as you know about the life of David, he did have sin in his life, but he was still a man after God's own heart and that God still dealt with him. And when we do sin, God does deal with us. If God does not deal with you in your sin, then there is a greater issue there. And we're going to see that here in just a moment. Um, he says in the verse, first few verses, Rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me. He knows that he has been chastened by the Lord. You and I have to understand, much like David here, that there is a difference between going through a hard time, going through something that our sin has caused on our own, um, or how about even something that is a, a test or, or, or that sort of trial, but and the difference between those things and being chastened of the Lord. Sometimes we like to make it all the same thing, and it, it's certainly not. We have to understand the difference because all of those have their purpose. Every trial has its purpose. Every 
difficult time and situation in your life has its purpose. Even in our sin, God can use it for a purpose to break us down, to build us back up. And that's what we're going to see really in this psalm, this chastening. I want you to hold your place here in Psalm 6 and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. All right, good. I hear pages turning. I love that sound. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, tonight, just to help us give some understanding about what it means to be chasing the Lord. We all know what it means to be disciplined. Most of us in here tonight have gotten plenty of spankings, whoopings, all that stuff. And probably most of us, if we're honest, didn't get as many as we deserved. <laughs> right? Um, right. Except for me. Right. 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 No, no. Right. We'd all say that, wouldn't we? No, of course not. We we needed probably more discipline than what we even got. But we found some mercy in our parents' eyes and some grace was given to us. But I want us to look here. Hebrews 12 deals a, a lot here. Verses four through 11 with this idea of chastening, with this idea of, of discipline, the discipline of the Lord. He is those in Christ. He beco- uh, the Lord becomes our heavenly father. And because he is our heavenly father, that means he is a perfect father, not just a father figure, not just the man upstairs. He's not those things. He is God. The God of the universe becomes our heavenly father. And therefore, he loves us with a father's love who's willing to do anything for his child, would do anything much like the, the, in the case of the prodigal son. It's the story less about the son who goes wayward, more about the father who is faithful and loving and gracious, waiting for his son's return. That's who our father is. But on the other side, our father, because he is holy and righteous and just, he will and must discipline his children. And thank God that he does. Could you imagine if we did not experience the chastening of God, how far we would go? Could you imagine how far you and I would go in our sin if we did not have the the tugging or the restraining power of the Holy Spirit inside of us? We would go farther than I think our minds could even fathom or imagine. That is the fruit, really, that we see in the world today. But let's look here in Hebrews 12, verse number 4. It says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. The book of Hebrews is being written specifically to those who uh, were Jewish converts, Jewish believers during this time, uh, being written as we see the whole book of Hebrews points, as every other book of Scripture, mind you, points to Jesus being greater, uh, being better, being the real focal point of all of human history and that of salvation specifically. And so he's writing to these believers because they are facing some persecution. You can especially see that early on in the book of Hebrews, They feel chastened. They feel all sorts of things. But he says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor faint without rebuke of him. Sometimes it's easy to go through that. It's easy to to feel that chastening of the Lord and, and to think, oh, all is lost. All is over or to despise it. But we need it. It's for our sake. He says here in verse six, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Verse six is simple. What this tells you and I tonight is if you are in Christ, if you are born again and you are chasing the Lord, which if you truly are saved tonight, you will face some time where you have to go to the woodshed. God will take us out and, and he'll have to chasten us. He'll have to discipline us. And he does so not out of meanness or, or just abuse, but rather out of love. The same way uh, an earthly father who truly loves his child will discipline them as well. But he says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
If you are chastened because of your sin, it is because God loves you. If he did not love you, you would not be chastened. If you did not have that loving relationship as father and son, as, as heir to, uh, to all of what he promises his people by faith, then we would not be in right relationship with him. He is going to address that here in just a moment. He says, he chasteneth all those that he loves, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. Now, you and I might not understand this as much as those who are the biblical audience, because to be a son during this time means everything. To be a son means that you have rights and privileges. It means that you're having an inheritance coming to you that is far greater than what we can imagine. You're going to inherit all the land, all the possessions, the prestige, the name, everything. And that's you and I. We go from being sons and children of the devil, children of the world, children of wrath and disobedience, to being born again into the family of God, where we are now sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have direct access to God. We can go to Him and we can literally walk and talk with Him in the throne room. It has been said before that there are those in the world who have access to walk through the palace, but still don't talk to the prince. And with the idea behind that saying is that there are those who um, might say that they have access or to a certain spot, but to have that relationship with that who is in royalty or authority, it's a different ballgame. And you and I have that. We're not just coming to him as Lord, as he is Lord, but we are coming to him as his children. He says, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. He makes it very clear. He says you're, you're an illegitimate child. You're not my son if I don't chasten you. You're not my daughter if I don't chasten you. You don't belong to me if you are not chastened when you sin. The reason why the world continues in the state that it's in is because they're not chastened of the Lord to the same way that you and I are chastened. You see, they have many of them, I would say today, in the last days specifically, have their conscience seared as with a, a hot iron. It is as if they do not understand because they really don't understand their sin. If they don't understand their sin because they don't know who God is, even if they believe in God, they, they hold the, the truth of God and they suppress it in unrighteousness. And that's what their conscience does. That's what their heart does. So therefore, they're not chasing the same way that you and I are. As a matter of fact, they are still yet under God's wrath. He says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Amen. We should. Right? It's in the Ten Commandments to honor father and mother. Uh, we see that every father or every mother that chastens their child, that disciplines their child, we should give them respect and honor for it because they're doing their child a service. They are teaching them and correcting them. And we give them reverence as he describes here. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own displeasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The reason why I point us to the scripture tonight is because as David cries out, Lord, chasten me not in your hot displeasure and your anger at all these things. David is coming to a place of brokenness and repentance to get back in fellowship and relationship with God. In so doing, he recognizes that he is being chastened and that he is being disciplined and that he has to have that fellowship brought back. And it's going to be through true repentance. But in this, we find that 
Being disciplined of God, number one, proves our position in God. Every son he loves, he chastens. That means tonight when we sin and when you sin, because you're going to and you're chastened by God, it is because you are his son or daughter and he loves you. Such proof. Now, furthermore, it gives us a profit. It profits us something. Now, he says in verse 11, in the present, it does not seem joyous, does it? When you're getting that whooping, it is not a joyful thing. It does not seem joyful. You don't go, oh, this is nice. When you're being disciplined or grounded or being beaten with a spoon, whatever it might be, however you got disciplined. And when you're on your way to go pick out your own switch, you're not going, what a lovely walk this is. No, you're going, this is not going to be good. I better pick one that's not going to be too bad. All just to bring it back and go, eh, that one wasn't good enough. Go find another one, right? Go get the one that wraps around, all right? Yeah, that's, that's what happened. That's the story of our childhood, most of us, right? We still turned out this way. Man. And what we find here is that it is for our good. We don't see the good in it at the time. No child disciplined at the time sees it's good. But when you and I grow up, we go, you know, I sure had a good mom and dad, didn't we? Right? I'm sure glad that I had someone who took care of me and disciplined me. And, and if anything, they probably should have done it more because I got wild at one point or I did this or that. And we find that it's for our prophet. And the prophet specifically is that it drives us to his holiness and it drives us to personal holiness. He says that we might be partakers of his holiness. The reason why you and I are disciplined is not so that God would show forth how big, strong, and mighty he is, but rather to show his tender, loving, fatherly heart towards his children and draw us unto holiness. Why? Because holiness leads to fellowship with God. Because how can unholy have fellowship with that which is holy? It cannot. It will not. As we've been talking about in Sunday school in 1 John, how can that which is in darkness walk with God who is light and no darkness is in at all? It, it does not happen. It cannot happen. So everything we find, every affliction, every trial, every chastening, it's going to be for our good and God's glory. The chastening of the Lord is not a joyful thing, but it is continuously renewing us from the inside out. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as, a father the, uh, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Uh, if you want to, turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse number 15 tells us, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now I know, of course, contextually, though that specific passage is dealing with the... Um, difficulties and trials of life, even persecution. Um, if you go back, you can see in verse number 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. But when we look in this, 
understanding the chastening of the Lord, we find, too, in these other passages that it is for a purpose and that it is just a momentary light affliction that is doing something far more eternal. When God disciplines you, it's not just for the here and now, it's for the eternal things. And that you and I are called in those moments of trials, in those moments of chastening, in those moments of sin, in those moments of despair, to look not to the here and now, but to the hereafter. And to know that right now counts for forever. That, that right now and today is an eternal, an eternal focus. If we had our minds focused on the eternal things, the temporary would not be so bad. If we understood the reason why eternally that God does what he does, then the right now would not hurt near as much. We would, if anything, be drawn closer to him and to his holiness. Now coming back to our passage in Psalm 6, we have this truth here. He says in verse number 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. You know what displeasure is? It's displeasure. Do you know what hot displeasure is? It's real bad displeasure. It's not good, right? It is adding to it. It's, to, it's described in other parts, that's usage um, in the Old Testament, that God's anger is hot against Israel. If you're hot-headed, right, what do we know that means? It's you're fuming, right? It's, it's so angry, there's, there's a spit coming out. You're just turning red in the face. It's, that's describing God's anger here. God is angry, as we saw last week, with sin and the sinner. We discussed that last week in, in Psalm 5. And now we move forward here. And he says, have mercy upon me. We get now to prayer and, and discipline. When we are being disciplined by God, it is not the time to hush our mouths and to flee from God or to flee from chastening, but rather to go to him in prayer, to thank him for the moment, for the lesson, and to ask him for help. For asking for deliverance from our sin, from even his anger, so that it might pass by and we might have that joy and fellowship once more that David longed for. David knows the days in his life that he's danced before the Lord in, the, in his palace, that he's danced before God near the tabernacle and in worship and all of these things throughout his life. He's seen God's hand upon him and he wants that joyful fellowship again. That should be the goal of every believer when we fall in sin. It is not to wallow in our sin, but it is to go, how do I get from this sin and back into the palace? How, how do I get from, from being uh, where I'm at now in the muck and the mire that I place myself in and to be back in the arms and fellowship of my heavenly Father? He says, have mercy upon me, O Lord. He is now pleading. Pleading to God comes from the heart that is truly broken by their sin and situation before God. We talked about this morning about having true brokenness, a true desire of holiness. And I believe that we are missing that today in our day and age, a true brokenness over our sin. We are often angry at the sin of the world, but very little are we broken over lost souls. We are often angry at those who do wrong to believers, but very little, if ever, are we broken over the fact that they don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. We are often angry at those that sin against us, but very little are we angry at the sin that still abides in our flesh, that we have not killed, that we have not stamped out. We must have a brokenness, and David knows this. 
in his brokenness, David has not lost his position, but rather his joy and fellowship. And I would say tonight that too many believers are living in a state of broken joy and fellowship. Not because God has changed, but because we have sinned. And unfortunately, in that trap, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school, we have so many who have the wrong view of sin. They either think too much of it that there's no way a sinner can either be saved or that a saint can ever be restored. Or on the other side, they think that sin is, you know, not that bad or, you know, because where it's under the blood, we can live as we please. That's not the case at all. What we find, though, is the mercy and grace of God that is awaiting the sinner, the saint, who calls upon the Lord. Have mercy upon me. Rebuke me not in thine anger. You could chase me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me. Because he knows that if God is angry with him, if God is chastening him, if God is disciplining him, then what can he appeal to? Not to God's wrath and justice, but rather the only thing that David can appeal to is God's mercy and grace. And I've said this before, I believe that every time that we pray, we are appealing to God's mercy and grace. David is asking not for what he deserves, not for justice, but rather for God in His grace, in His love, and in His covenant promises to David to withhold what David deserves. David deserves death. David deserves destruction. What you and I deserve is death and destruction. And so what do we plea upon? What do we cry out for? The mercy of God. As we've discussed, grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve, and mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. And the two go hand in hand. Every moment, every breath, every time that we sin, every time that we're on the mountaintop, it is God's grace and mercy that holds us there. We have the truth, though, that according to 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, as David is doing, that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We find, though, about His mercy, I believe it was J.L. that said earlier, about His mercy is, is never-ending. As the Psalms later go on to describe about God's mercy, His mercy is new every morning. His mercy endures forever. Forever is a long time, by the way. It shows that God never runs out of mercy or grace. If He did, He would have ran out the moment that sin entered into the world. But God's mercy endures forever and forever. That's why you and I are alive these thousands of years later. That's why you and I are still in existence even though we've sinned in our walk with God countless times after countless times. He says, though, have mercy upon me, not because I'm the king of Israel, not because I'm a man after your own heart, not because I slayed Goliath, not because I did the righteous things in the life of me and Saul, not because I've done as best as I can in my life, but he says, have mercy upon me and save me for thy mercy's sake. David, from the whole being, all of his being, is literally just consumed by his sinfulness, consumed by his condition. His soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? But the verse before, O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. He describes his state, and he does not say that because of what's in me, God, you should save me, you should restore me, you should fix me, but rather because of who you are, God. Save me for thy mercy's sake. The word saved means to be delivered. To be delivered or saved from trouble 
or danger. So at this point in time, David could just be facing danger for his life or even the trouble building upon uh, the rebellion of, uh, of, uh, of his son uh, from all the way in Psalm 3. We find uh, that David cries out for the mercy of God and he says, save me because of who you are. Save me for your very mercy's sake. He says, heal me. Save me. Notice this language. He, he says to, for to be healed because David desires ultimate restoration. To be saved, to be made whole, to be, made, to be healed. God's goal in breaking us is so that he might build us. We often miss that. God does not discipline us just to show forth his wrath, but he does so for our greater good. The discipline that you and I face for our sin is for our good and his glory because the more we come to know God, even in the midst of discipline, the closer we are to him, our fellowship is restored, our joy is restored, and God gets the glory out of a child who has been restored and who walks with him. Everything in your life, mind you, according to the scripture, is for our good and for his glory. We don't always see the good like we don't see the joy and the discipline. However, we should always see God's glory in everything because God should get the glory in everything. Everything is for his glory. David sees this in his life. He continues to see it in this time of discipline. David describes then now as we continue on all the way through verse 7, his state of brokenness before God. Now, some of these words and descriptions that he's about to describe his own self and his own state probably sound familiar to some things that you and I have maybe faced in our life. Some real brokenness over sin. He says in verse number 6, I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. David is not talking about some sort of light repentance. He's not talking about just going to God saying, God, I, I probably messed up today, so if I did, forgive me. How shallow of repentance is that? Yet much of the average Christian's repentance is, God, I probably messed up, so you know, forgive me, and, and, and then also don't forget to give me all the stuff I asked for earlier. That's not repentance. right? That's the, that's the one who got in trouble and is only sorry that they got caught. There's not a time that you and I will sin against God that we won't be caught. We're caught long before we even do the sin. For God is there. He knows. He, he knows our little wicked hearts, but he desires for us to turn to him. And the Holy Spirit of God inside groans and cries out for us to run and to flee from that sin or to fight that sin, destroy that sin. And David describes uh, uh, quite the grief here. He's described as his bones being weak and vexed and his soul is vexed the word weak that is used weary it's the idea and the picture of a plant that is withering away we just recently moved into you know the house what i guess three weeks three weeks ago something like that i don't know it feels like a long time at this point the boxes are gone praise god but outside of our front door the the previous owners had planted some basil and parsley and some other stuff, you know, right? And that's nice. It looked good. And um, I tried to eat some of the basil and it didn't, it didn't work out too good. Um, but anyways, so I like to say about the first week, we were good at watering it. And those, those little herbs look beautiful and green. 
The second week, we, we weren't as good at watering. And then the third week, we didn't, we didn't water either. And now, if you were to walk through my front door, you're going to look and see those poor little herbs. And I wouldn't put those on anything. <laughs> right? They're dried up. They're shriveled up. They're withered away. Something that is not watered, something that is, uh, it, it just, it loses the life that's in it. We've already been described in Psalm 1 as those who are delighting in the law of the Lord are like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit. We need that water and our, uh, our break in fellowship gets us away from the water of life. And now David is returning by the mercy of God to get a drink once more. When he says and describes his bones and his soul, he is showing that literally everything inside of him is consumed by this great brokenness of his sin and his lack of fellowship. But the progression is building up though from verses 1 to 7 to then verses 8 through 10. That David is going to go from being broken to being built to being bold and confident. That's the life of true repentance. We are broken over our sin. Broken by our sin. Even broken by the hand of God to discipline us in our sin. Why? So that He might build us back up. And as He builds us back up, He's doing so much like... Now, granted, you probably shouldn't take the whole guarding advice from me, clearly because I just killed Basil, all right? But when you look at plants and other things, you have to do some trimming every now and again to make things grow better, right? That's what I've heard at least. You've got to do some trimming of hedges to make things nicer, to make things better, to make it grow in fuller. At least that's how it works with beards, so I can at least talk about that. But you do so so that way it might grow stronger. It might grow more full. And the reason why we're broken is so that we might be built up and be more full of the Lord. Why? So that we do live boldly for Him confidently in him boldness is not just a shouting or gusto but rather a confidence in who god is david wants to return to such david then discusses and talks about his brokenness and he says i literally swim in my tears i water my couch with my tears it's just he's talking about such immense grief that he can't stop crying over sin over the condition and he needs it fixed sometimes the greatest moments that you and i have with God are the moments right after grief or brokenness. Perhaps the most beautiful thing in the life of a church is when there are broken believers at the altar and tears are flowing, cries are being sent up. That perhaps even the most wonderful of times and closest moments in your life are the times that you feel the furthest away, but God is breaking you down to build you up. And that there is a closeness in that because fellowship is being restored. And it's as if we've just ran back into the Father's arms once more to feel His embrace and remember all of who He is. We remember that we are sons of the King. He says, Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. He's discussing this weariness that he has faced. And David is coming now to re-repentance. Keep your place here. I'm just going to read this for you for just a moment. I want to give you a couple of verses about what real repentance looks like. Obviously, what it looks like in the life of David, but 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 tells us, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. 
But the sorrow of the world worketh death. There are many people who will have a touch of religion or emotionalism and might sling snot and tears without real repentance. We must be careful not to mistake tears for true belief or true faith or true repentance. Real repentance uh, is not one that just has sorrow and tears, but it's one that leads to a change of heart, the inside out. And that's what David is experiencing. True repentance. What is needed today is, is, is true repentance in the life of churches, in the life of believers. We often think that if revival were to come, that it has to look like the snot and tears and all this stuff, you know, all the emotionalism. It, that comes... But real revival and real repentance in the life of David and the life of every other believer, for that matter, looks like this. It looks like someone who is broken over their sin and is not just staying in the midst of sorrowfulness or remorse that they got caught, but rather a change of heart and mind and direction and to be built back up in the Scriptures, to be built back up by the Spirit of God, to be built back up by God Himself so that we might be bold and confident in Him. And now we get to verse 8 to 10 the deliverance of God. Because on the backside of every time that there is discipline of God, there will also be the deliverance. That's the great thing. Discipline does not last forever. Weeping may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. We might have to face that time of discipline, but it will not last forever. His anger will not last forever against those who he loves, against those whom have trusted in him. David describes this deliverance he says, depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard, and he says it twice now, my supplication, the Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. We have, first of all, in the deliverance of the Lord, an assurance of God's hearing. He says, the Lord hath heard twice. That means the Lord hath heard, in case you were wondering. It means God has heard the cry of David God has heard the cries for mercy. God has heard true repentance. And by God hearing, it is God responding and answering David. David has been seen and heard of God in the time of his weeping and chastening and brokenness. What does that tell you and I? That God too sees you in your chastening. God too sees you in your weeping and your brokenness, not just over your sin, but even in your grief this evening. Regardless of where you are and how many tears you might have, flowing down your cheeks over sin or over a situation that has come in your life, that God sees you and hears your cries and hears your prayer. He hears your heart. He hears the words that you can't even utter. He hears you tonight. That brings us assurance. While the world might not hear us, while David might feel alone, while you and I might feel alone, God is with us and God hears his people. God sees you right where you are and is working through this to break and to build you back up. God has heard David's prayer and is answering him by defeating his enemies. We should live a victorious life knowing that our enemy, Satan, is already a defeated foe. Already and not yet at the same time. He still fights, but yet at Calvary he is destroyed. And there's coming a day that he will forever be not just locked away, but thrown into a lake of fire. It is not Satan that will rule over hell. Satan will be in torment as much as the most wicked sinner because he is the most wicked sinner. 
He is vile, detestable, and he will face his judgment. And that gives David hope, knowing that God is working out the ultimate victory, not just for David, but for all those who trust in him. There is the assurance of God's hearing, but there is then David's address to the enemies. He says, depart from me. David will now no longer entertain them. Meaning this, he's no longer going to listen to their lies. He's no longer going to listen to what they have to say. He's no longer keep giving them an audience and an ear to them uh, uh, falsely accuse him of wrongdoing. He's done with it. Sometimes the greatest thing that you and I can do is to stop listening to the negativity, to stop listening to those who are against God or against us over something that is nothing there to be against. We often listen to that which we shouldn't. And what we bring in our ears and our eyes will come deeper than what we want it to go. It will change us and affect us and even make us bitter, even drive us to sin. He then says that God has heard me, that God is on my side. He tells his enemies that the Lord hath heard my supplication and the Lord will receive my prayer. He knows that if God is for him, who can be against him? And lastly, he addresses his enemies and even in the prayer to God, and he says, let all my enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. To be ashamed and sore vexed means for them, his enemies, to be chastened and to be confounded. He's desiring that they too would feel the same grief that he experiences so that they would experience chastening and so that way they ultimately would be broken of their sins so that way they might be built up. David's desires for his enemy is not just that they would be cast away forever, but ultimately that they would repent. And that should be our desire as well. He says, let them return and be ashamed suddenly. They should be ashamed of what they've done to David. The same way that the enemy in our own sin should be ashamed at what it has caused and what it has done. This gives us, though, some lasting things to chew on this week. That is one, God will bring ultimate victory to David and to all those who trust in him. Live a victorious Christian life. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We must live like it. Too often, we sin like David did, and we wallow in sin or self-pity or even in a false repentance instead of returning to the fellowship and joy of God. And instead of being uh, chastened and being built back up, we, we run away from the Lord. We do not live back in the victory that we're called to live in. Lift your head up if you're a child of God tonight and live in victory. Know that one day when we leave this world, a total eternal victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave will forever be experienced. The great thing about heaven, and I believe it's perhaps one of the forgotten things about heaven, is that you and I will never sin again. You and I will never disappoint our Heavenly Father again. And that you and I will not have to experience His chastening ever again. That we'll be glorified before His sight and we will have and live ultimately as victors forevermore. And lastly tonight, we have this truth in the life of David and our own, that God will build up those whom He breaks. God will build up those whom He breaks. Sometimes the best prayer and need of our own heart is that we ask God to break us a little bit. For God to break our hearts over our sin. For God to break our hearts over the sin of the world. For God to break our hearts over the things that we see and the condition of our lost loved ones. 
Sometimes our hearts need to be broken so that way they can be built up and reassured again. Though we might be going through darkness, though we might be going through chastening, it is for our good and His glory, and it's being used to build us up so we might walk more and more with Him, that we might have more of a sure foundation, that we might be more built up, so that we might bear more fruit for the Lord. That we might be broken, built up, and bold, confident in the Lord our God. Tonight, I'm not sure what your condition might be. I'm not sure where you are tonight. You might be experiencing chastening tonight. You might be experiencing a mountaintop. Or maybe you're like me and you feel like you're somewhere in between. You just know that no matter which state you're in, I need God's mercy. Tonight, as we close in prayer, when we ask God to help us, when we ask and cling to God's mercy and His promises and His love for all those who come to Him, and may we begin to experience what real brokenness and a real building up in the Lord really looks like. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this night. We thank You for the example of David and what You've done in his life and recorded so that we might know uh, not just about him and how You've worked in his life, but so that we might see how You work in ours. God, I pray that tonight that we would be sincere in our hearts and our lives. God, that we would live open before you and that if you are chastening us in our hearts, may we praise you for it and to thank you for it because of our relationship with you, but may it also break us so that we might be built up in you once more and to have that joy and fellowship. I pray, God, that we would chew and dwell and meditate upon the truths of your word that we've experienced today. God, that we would live in the power of your presence and promises to us this week and that you might use us for your honor and for your glory and to reach out to a lost and undying world. God, we love you and we thank you and praise you once more for this time tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys have a great evening. Y'all are dismissed.